Welcome to episode 31 of Insecurity. This week, we're going to discuss privacy and the Verizon UIDH. Visit our website at in-security.org for the show notes, to leave comments, and for previous episodes. Also, follow us on Twitter at Insecurity Show. Send us email to feedback at in-security.org. My name is Matt. And I'm Max. How you doing this week, buddy? So good. So good. I got you. That is excellent news. It has been, again, a little while. I think we have to stop talking about it. Yeah, it's probably annoying when the guys are like, when's another podcast coming out? And we're like, oh, it's been a while since we recorded. Don't you think it's been a while? Yeah, I think instead we'll just stop talking about the been a while. Sure. Hey, so what's news? What's going on with you? Not a whole heck of a lot. Let me think. No, don't want to talk about that. Can't share that. Um, Are you making up like you have news or is there actual news that you don't want to talk about? Six of one, half a dozen of the other? Sure. Let's go with that. Huh. I just recently moved. You did. I'm now living even more downtown Vancouver than before when I was just in Vancouver, but in the outskirts, not even the good skirts. Just the outskirts. That's cool. And, and you know, when you move, you always have to pick up some new furniture. Yes, we've picked up a whole bunch of furniture. And like extra squeaky chairs from the extra squeaky chair depot? No, this was the extra squeaky chair that I had before. I just had the uh, extra squeaky chair in the other room. Uh, now all of, my, all of my rig fits in my room. Yes, that's fantastic news. Mm-hmm. Right? So the very astute listener will notice a different room tone. Or maybe not at all, because I always edit out the room tone. Unless mm. you're editing. I think I might. Oh, sweet. Sounds like a thing I might do. Yeah. Nice. Oh, did we want to record like another one? Like within the another next what? couple of weeks? Another episode. Yeah. Okay, good. Sure. Squeaky, squeaky voice. Yes. Um, yeah, I, I was figuring we might just record more and release more frequently. Because one of the things that I noticed was that, you know, we were in a big rush to put out the super pertinent bash vulnerability called Shellshock. And then I was like, whoo, that's done. Now we can release the old content. Well, the old content was about the Apple bridge, which by the time we release it is going to be like two months old and just wow. Um, yeah. So, you know, if we want to do timely stuff, it should probably be timely. Mm-hmm. I see where you're going with this. Although the lessons learned within that uh, episode, I, I think are great. Like it doesn't have to be tied to the breach. It's just the catalyst for the conversation, I suppose. But I think a lot of people are kind of over it by now. Hey, so did we have a thing? What did we have on uh, on tap for today? Well, you sent me a very interesting link. You sent me a link about this whole Verizon putting in these tracking mechanisms to people's traffic when they use their cellular smartphones. So there's an article that's going to be in the show notes, which you can reach at in-security.org slash EP031. And basically it talks about Verizon as a cellular provider has been for the last two years, basically just been uh, modifying the headers for any data that gets sent out. Uh, a unique identifier for everybody so that basically anybody who is listening who wants to can start picking up that header and tracking your 
information in your movement. Does that more or less sum it up? Yeah. So just like any sort of communication, you got to know who it's from and who it's to. You know, if you think about a telephone system, you just dial in the number of who you want to reach and they have caller ID and it says who's calling them. Right. And it might have something like a name attached to it as well. So this header that gets attached to it is invisible to the person who's sending it because it's just along with all the other bits of information. And the web server who gets it at the other side could see it if they wanted to capture the header and look at it. But it would pretty much be meaningless to them because it's just a jumble of digits. But where it's actually important is, and the reason why Verizon's doing this, and it's not just Verizon, I've found out. It's also AT&T who's played in this. Uh, Bell Canada's done this. Um, they actually add in a unique identifier for the individual where they can then translate that back to an, uh, a person. So Verizon, AT&T, Bell, some other people are using this as a marketing thing. So they're actually selling, you know, advertisements to people where no matter what website somebody goes to, you can be sure that this is this one customer of ours and they are a male of the age of 35 to 40 or whatever, right? All the stuff that's important to advertisers where they can check demographics and really monetize the web, which is interesting that an ISP is doing this, uh, an internet service provider, because you're already paying them to connect you to the internet. Basically, they're just monetizing as much as possible. So not only are they selling you a service, which should be anonymous, but by tracking your usage and then giving selling that information to someone else, they're making money off of that. One of the things that's sort of interesting is that Verizon has offered the opportunity to opt out. And what that means is they will continue to do the exact same thing that they're doing. They just won't sell your information to anybody. So anyone who wants to can simply continuously track your usage and information. If you visit my website more than once, I can tell because I can track that unique identifier. Right. If you, if I want to see no what matter, your, no matter where I am. Yeah. If I want to see what your browsing habits are, if I want to see how often you come to my website, how often you click through specific links, if you've been looking at this product over and over again, I'm going to start pushing you towards that product. Yeah, sure, because it's probably just a matter of time before I cave and actually do so. Uh, so I guess there's a little bit of a misnomer. It's not any time anybody uses a smartphone. They have to be going over the Verizon network to be able to actually embed this header, this this little magical invisible fingerprint that goes along with your communication. So if you're using, uh, if you're connected to your home Wi-Fi network, that gets stripped out. If you're connected VPN from your phone to someone's VPN, then at that point you're going through someone's VPN connection. So again, it gets stripped out. Right. And there's a very interesting thing is if you're doing a secure connection using the secure HTML or HTTPS, where you see that little lock icon, they don't have the ability to insert the header within that because the whole header is also encrypted. So, I mean... People monetizing on other people's surfing habits, it, it's not new, right? It's done all the time. That is how a giant like Google got all of that money in the first place. 
So there's, uh, I have no idea who first said it, but it's kind of a truism of the internet is that if you aren't paying for the service you're getting, right? If you aren't paying to use Google search, or if you are not paying to get Gmail, right? It's just not out of the kindness of their heart that people are providing these things. It should be self-evident that they're making money off of you by advertising, right? You're not the client. You're the product. Right. So now if I am actively paying somebody to provide me with a service and what I would have assumed to be an anonymous connection to the internet, instead, people are giving them money to allow access to the internet. And then they're taking all of that person's information and selling it again. Right. So when you're paying somebody for something, you don't expect them to double dip on you and also sell your information. Now, a little clarification. You're not using the internet anonymously, right? You're coming onto the internet. They're providing you with an IP address so that you can create this communication just like a telephone system. You have to have a telephone number to make a call. The other people can receive that and see where you're communicating from because at the end of the day, the signal has to go through the wires and reach both parties to communicate. By anonymously, I meant more along the lines of you don't expect them to be selling any of your specific information. Right. And that is the difference here is what they're doing is they're categorizing you as a type of individual and they're selling that information as to usage habits by demographics. So now we get into the metadata analysis piece that is super scary when the government does it. And why would it not be super scary when a corporation does it too? When we started talking about this, we just kind of glossed over. They've been doing this for the last two years. And nobody really knew until recently someone from the Electronic Frontier Foundation was playing with one of their servers and they basically turned on an option on the server to capture all headers, right. not just the ones that people regularly use, the ones that people know about. Instead, they turned it on and they set it to capture all headers that were being sent to that server. And they noticed that there was a lot of extra weird noise or data coming from people who specifically were using Verizon. Right. And I like this Electronic Frontier Foundation. They're pretty cool people. They're savvy bunch of lawyers. We've talked about them in the past. And they seem to be looking after, you know, the whole fact that the Internet was meant to be free and that it's important to have a anonymous forum for communicating. Within reason. Like, within reason. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's some communication that you want people to uh, authenticate with, but there's actually behavioral analysis that's been done that shows when you're observing someone and they know that they're being observed, they will act differently. Right. So just the very fact that, you know, you're using a service that uh, is monitoring the things that you're doing. And obviously this makes it super easy for not just Verizon to sell it, but, you know, other organizations that have access to your surfing habits, like, you know, government agencies that are sniffing all network traffic. It makes it very easy for them to see and categorize types of individuals and gives them a new set of metadata. And what's been revealed is that 
metadata itself is actually more powerful in some cases than data. Like you don't need to hear everything that's being said. You just need to understand and see the patterns of who's talking to who. And that'll give you a whole different picture of what's going on. There's actually a really good TED talk done by Glenn Greenwald. There'll be a link in the show notes to the TED talk. It's a YouTube link and it's about why privacy matters, even if you're not doing anything wrong. So I highly suggest anybody who's interested to go and see that talks about the behavior of people when they're observed. So very quickly, if you just think about what you do when you're alone and then what you do when you're observed, you actually modify your behavior. So if you're alone, you might think nothing of picking your nose. But if you're in public, you know, that's not really publicly acceptable. So you would change that behavior you know, people singing in the shower who wouldn't sing at all out in the public, that kind of stuff, right? It's just, it changes your behavior. And when you have a, a group of people monitoring you and being overt about it, it actually, you know, changes society. And the best way to have a society in the way that we were accustomed to growing up, being free and all of that, is allow people to have privacy, allow people to have the discussions about what is right, what is wrong, and what is possible to transform and come up with new things. Freedom's very much a part of privacy. Right. Absolutely. As far as having someone monitor, you know, your shopping habits, how does that directly affect anything? That's one of the things my sister is sort of asking me. She was saying, so what? If someone wants to specifically market to me, that's inevitable because that's going to happen. Right. And opting out of marketing is not going to stop marketing from happening. Right, right. But it's it's that extra dynamic that gets added to marketing so that, you know, people can really formulate the message strongly and appeal more to a certain consumer base. So, for instance, guys in their mid-20s might be more interested by beer commercials showing scantily clad women than women in their 50s might be, right? So you actually are able to customize the message more to the use group, be more appealing, be more successful, get more returns on your investment. And like, I kind of see the point though, like, so what, right? That's what, that's what got me. I was just like, meh. It's just the dirty tricks people can play at that point, right? Once they have it super customized for you, they can manipulate you. Well, except that they do that. Like they already do that and they're already going to do that. They've already got a lot of this data. All they're doing now is not all they're doing. But one of the main things that they're doing now is they're just targeting all of these things that they've already created. For instance, Old Spice ads are not targeted to the old men. Old Spice used to be a thing, uh, at least in my mind, it was a aftershave for old men. Right. And then they went through this whole marketing blitz where they basically broke commercials for everybody forever by doing the wacky I'm on a horse guy and all that. Right. They made commercials that were really, really funny. Now you've got bad advertising companies trying to do commercials that they think are funny, which are not trying to ride on this, this coattail. And then, of course, you've got companies like Subway. You've got companies that already market to each demographic, not just with one product. They make the same product and then just brand it differently. Look at uh, what's it? Unilever. Unilever is one of my favorite examples because 
Unilever makes Dove soap. And Dove has had this huge marketing push. Not Unilever, Dove, under the umbrella of Unilever. So Dove had this huge push. You're beautiful the way that you are. It doesn't matter what your body type is. It doesn't matter how you look. It doesn't matter. Like, you should be beautiful on the inside. That's a great message. I love that product. I would buy the heck out of that product. Unilever also makes Axe body spray. (laughs) I Um, didn't know that. Axe body spray and Axe body wash and all of this. And their message, which is Axe, not Unilever, because it's Axe under the the umbrella, is if you use Axe, you'll get only the hottest babes who are just going to drench themselves all over you. And you're totally going to be like MacDon by all the chicks. Like, oh, one spray of Axe. Oh, is that Axe body spray? Nothing about, you know, try and be be pretty because Axe is aimed at teen men. Right. Or old men who want to be with teen girls or whatever it might be. That's two complete opposite sides of the same soap coin done by the same company. Just targeting interesting i didn't i didn't know the hypocrisy ran like that it's one of my favorite examples that's cool so i guess getting back to your sister's question the answer is the fear that when you get a super precise demographic that advertisers switch from asking from people to buy the product to bullying people to buy the product and being more malicious and more obtuse about it and and really just treating consumers like like pigs to the slaughter more than anything else well one of the biggest things um, that i've found from technology is it just makes advertising more and more and more intrusive than it ever has been before and it's just going to keep <laughs> going that way like it used to be that i would be shocked if i found out that i had a commercial in my pants <laughs> but now I cannot do anything inside of my pants without commercials happening. For a while, I used to have a bus pass from in Montreal, and then they started selling ads in Montreal bus passes. Really? Because they thought, well, you know, we've got this in your wallet anyway, and we're charging only like a hundred dollars for to ride the bus. So why don't we try and make some money off of this? Hmm. Now with a smartphone. You've got so many apps and you can even get premium apps that are trying to sell to you. Maybe not with ads per se, but with freemium models or even the uh, in-app purchases. Right. They buy a, an app and then they want you to spend more money. So they keep advertising to you. Hey, maybe you should spend more money and get this better hat. Yep. Thanks, Valve. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, there's definitely that. So has this show just become grumpy old men? I think so. One of the things that when you were talking about advertisement in your pants reminded me that used to be you go to a website, they'll throw up a paywall and block you from from seeing the website. Now they've gotten a little clever with the JavaScript that runs on the Web page that you're viewing. It'll let you read a news article for five seconds. Then it'll pop something up in front of your face and say, oh, here's an ad, like click here or whatever. And then there's a little X to disable it. But it's just this overlay that's super intrusive and annoying. And on smartphones just drives me insane. I just want I just want my 1994 Internet back. Banner ads are great. 
The internet's by comparison to what they keep trying now were great because I just ignored them. They basically trained all the internet users ever to stop looking at that part of the internet. Mm -hmm. You basically just start, you know, a third of the way down the page and then you're good. Right. So I, I suppose we should come clean and state that we've been selling everybody's personal information that's been listening to this podcast. No, I mean, <laughs> not everything is out to get you and for profit. Like this is our work effort, me specifically in the information security world. I've learned so much from other people and from reading stuff and the generosity of people and putting forward research for free and and disclosing, you know, zero day vulnerabilities and getting everybody interested and moving this ball forward. The whole objective for me for doing this is this is my ability to give back to the community by training new people that are coming in that are interested in this and getting them good information rather than a lot of the crap that's out there. So if they happen to stumble upon this, I hope that they find the quality of the information that we give them good and we're doing it for free and at a loss, right? We pay for web hosting. We pay for other stuff. We don't have any advertisement within our podcast, on our website, on our show notes, on our Twitter feed, blah, 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 right? We don't actually get any money from anything that we've ever talked about. We're just doing it as this is a good reference. We're being very generous and kind and outgoing about this. That being said, not everybody's motivation is the same. News websites, you know, blogs, they live and die on the advertisement. People have to support a living, and I get that, right? It's just not us. We're otherwise employed. Thanks, employers, for you know allowing us to do this as well. Thanks, guys. But yeah, I don't begrudge anybody the fact that they have to make money to do this for a full time job or whatever. Right. There's people, there's kids making millions of dollars, making YouTube videos of them playing games. Fine. More power to you. If people are interested in seeing that, then go for it. But for me, this is a purely giving back kind of experience. And I've invested a little bit of money. You've invested more money. I don't know why, but yeah. Well, because you're not going to pay for hosting. Damn right. I'm cheap. I got kids. Yeah, you got kids and I got a hobby out of this. Um, yeah. As of right now, this is entirely just a labor of love. We're doing this as, you know, a hobby. We're not being approached for sponsorships. We're not trying to pitch for sponsorships. And that's why we only release an episode like a month or ever. So, yeah, we have other costs and other things that we have to do to make ends meet. I have a job that ends up... Uh, occasionally interfering with our recording schedule. Damn your employment. I say occasionally. I mean, quite regularly. So <laughs> we were supposed to be talking about privacy this episode. So far, we're talking about the advertising part of it and how it, it all kind of ties in. And so far as they are going to be marketing to us, <laughs> they will be. So so what uh, what can we do about it? What tools are out there for us to protect the communications we have, not get inundated by ads, and certainly not subject ourselves to privacy-stealing little headers that can get embedded within messages. Number one is identify. Try and figure out if you are currently a victim of this. Sure. Within the show notes, there's going to be links to a couple of different websites where you can basically go there and it will if it's receiving this header, unique identifier header, 
if the UIDH is showing up on your cellular device as a result of you being a Verizon customer or whichever other tools we can find, then we'll have those. You can at least identify whether you have to worry. If you don't have to worry about it for now until we find out more later from other providers, then we'll figure that out at that point. Right. Another interesting thing to note is, as I stated before, if you're using HTTPS, if you're going where over secure web connection and see that lock and key, they can't inject the headers. So just to stress that point a little bit more. And then this is just one aspect of it. There have been other programs in the past. Facebook had a beacon program that basically added a pixel onto websites so they could track you wherever you go across the the net. And they canceled that due to huge feedback. I mean, be upset about it. Speak up about it. If you care about this, that's fine, right? To protect yourself, you can also run things like Adblock, which is a plugin uh, which will disable ads. I think we've spoken about it in the past, but just in case we haven't, most browsers have the ability to add these plugins. This has a list of advertising companies that you can actually block. And if you see an ad on a website, you can actually click on it and choose to block it so that you'll never get that specific ad in the future or ads from that advertising company in the future. That can have security benefits as we, I believe, have discussed in the past because there's the ability to actually, you know, you are getting content from another place. You could be having your connection hijacked through that method as well. Malware gets in sometimes through these advertising networks and it's very difficult to track back whose ad is actually malicious. Does Adblock have any sort of option in there to try and block this UIDH or will it just block the the ads? Yeah, the advertisers themselves won't see the UIDH because it won't be going to them because you've blocked the communication to them in the first place. Perfect. And then, of course, the VPN, as we mentioned, if you can set up a VPN, then if necessary, set up a VPN at home, you can connect to that. And all of that's well and good, but none of that is really an anonymizing service. There are anonymizing services out there. The best one that I know of is the Tor project. Tor used to stand for the onion router because basically there's like layers to it like an onion. It's actually something that was developed by the U.S. Naval Research Laboratory so that they could communicate with people on various places and it would be immune to eavesdropping because a very important component of this is when you make a connection, it actually bounces around a couple of hops within a peer network group and then out the other end. So you don't know who's making the connection from one side to the other. It's not just source IP address, destination IP address, and the communication back and forth. It's I'm the source I'm going to lose myself within this cloud, misdirect myself off of a bunch of other people who are using this service, bounce out the other side. And so you think to yourself, well, okay, so what's to prevent someone from, you know, seeing everybody who's connecting to this in the first place and just assuming that they're bad guys? Well, one, the military is using it, spies are using it, and they need people like you and me who care about privacy to use it as well so that they can get lost in the flow of regular traffic, right? If somebody's connecting to it because they are a dissident in Syria versus a spy 
versus somebody who just cares about their privacy and doesn't want the government snooping what they're doing. This network is there to get lost in. Right. And you'll have criminals using this network. I bet you anything there are child pornographers who are using this anonymizing service so that they can't get caught back onto it. But it is also good for everybody. It's just, you know, traffic is traffic. Anybody who participates in this Tor network also becomes one of the bounce points. And then there's people that set up these endpoints where your communication goes out of, right? So these exit nodes are the people who are the last hop on the edge, and they carry a little bit more of a brunt of accountability for people who are using the service, right? These are the people that get investigated first. These are the people that governments that want to crack down on dissidents will go after first. They'll want to be the exit node so that they can see the traffic that's going out. All the traffic within Tor is encrypted. And then once it leaves Tor, you know, it's whether you type the S at the end of HTTPS and the web server on the other end accepts that or not. Is this a hardware thing? No, 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 no. So certainly you can develop a network kit on hardware, but Tor is, it's a client. So you're communicating uh, with your Tor client. There's browsers that are made to work on Tor there's um, there's a client you can install on your operating system so that all of your network traffic goes over Tor. Word of caution, you know, you got to make sure that all of your traffic is actually going over there. If you want to go to www.dissidentsrus.com, imagine that's a site and I don't know if it is or not. Um, <laughs> through Tor, your DNS traffic also needs to travel through Tor. The thing that resolves dissidents.com to the IP address that it is, you have to be mindful that that is also going over this network. Otherwise, your internet service provider will have the log saying that you queried what is the IP address of dissidentsrus.com and then see that and probably act on that. So you want to anonymize all of your traffic going through this. And then the way the tour works is it will say, Okay, I'm going to make you bounce through. The default is three different hops within the network before you leave it. So you get kind of shuffled around like a card deck, right? And there's a certain amount of shuffling in a card deck that is optimal, but there's a trade-off, right? Just like shuffling card decks, the more time you spend shuffling, the less time you spend playing cards. The more time you spend shuffling around the inside of the network, all of that's increasing latency between connections until you get to your end destination. Another thing is that keep in mind when you make a request for a web page, it's not just, hey, give me the web page. Here's the web page. It's, hey, I need a little bit of the web page. Okay, here's a few packets of the web page. Okay, I need a few more packets of the web page. Okay, here's more packets of the web page. You know, downloading kilobytes of information is multiple requests typically. So where you're making this connection to download one web page, you'll be going through maybe six or seven different routes to, to rebuild that web page. So that, that's where the anonymizing thing goes. And it's super good for sending secret messages. It's super good for not being observed what you're doing on the web. It's also important for people like journalists to talk to their sources, you know, that, that kind of stuff. And that, in a nutshell, is Tor. We will have links in the show notes for that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So variety of different anonymizing tips. Anything else that we have that works specifically for cellular telephones? Uh, yeah, yeah, there was a plugin for browsers as well. 
Um, I assume that the same is true for the browsing apps on phones. Certainly you have your choice of, you know, downloading different apps that work on phones, but, um, but there's a plugin for Firefox and I believe Chrome called HTTPS Everywhere. And that will, no matter what URL you type in, go to the secure option first. And of course, writing a stern letter to your uh, internet service provider. Yeah, but I mean, it's really getting crazy. Like you almost have to write letters to congressmen and come up with laws for silly things that you'd never thought you'd have to be writing laws for like we had discussed in episode 30 around revenge, whatever. Right. Well, writing, uh, probably taking part in what I assume is about to become a class action lawsuit against Verizon because everyone seems to love to litigate. Mm-hmm. Who knows? We'll see. Till they learn their lesson. Or maybe we're just going on to the idiocracy point. Have you ever seen that movie? It's a funny movie. You no, see that movie if you haven't seen it yet. I'll check it out. It's an oldie bit of goodie. Did we have any other solutions that we know of? By we, I mean you. I mean, the obvious one, vote with your dollar. If you're upset about this and find it's being applied to you, go and buy service instead from somebody who's not doing terrible things with your privacy. That works. That's all. You? Anything to add yourself? You mentioned that a couple of other companies have the same thing. Are there web tools out there to try and identify those as well? Yeah, so the headers themselves are all pretty much the same format. It's extra stuff shoved into a website request. So part of the tools that we'll be providing within our show notes for this episode, test these multiple vendors. If they detect uh, extra headers being shoved in, they'll display it back to you. Awesome. Again, out of the kindness of their own hearts. Those people, we heart them. Totally. Less than three. Awesome. Uh, I think that is a wrap. I've got nothing else to say on that topic. All right. Well, until next episode, I wish you a very good week. I have a whole bunch of oil, and I'm going to try and oil the ever-loving heck of a chair. Nice. It might not even register. I have no idea, but I know that I can hear it. So I definitely can hear it. I also hope that you have a good week, but not as good as my week, because last week you upweeked me, and so now I'm going to underweek you. <laughs> That's fine. It still works out the same for me. All right. You're going to have a better week than me. Uh, upweeked. Underweeked. <laughs> All right, yeah, we're good.